October 5th. And now, as we begin to look into the New Testament, our reading today will be from the book of Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. We'll go through chapter 2 and verse 7. Paul wrote to the Colossians. That's what he said. You must never allow anyone to come between you and Christ. In him is all wisdom and knowledge and all the fullness of God. And you're complete in him. Why accept a substitute? And that's what we're going to read about today in uh, this book. Let no one deceive you. Religious systems seem so inviting, and their leaders, of course, are so persuasive, aren't they? But if you follow them, you will substitute man's ideas for God's truth. Or let no one cheat you. Here, the thief is man-made philosophy and tradition, pleasing to the world but rejected by the Lord. If you have all fullness in Christ, why substitute man's empty philosophies? And let no one judge you. Legalism is the robber here, stealing your liberty in Christ and making you live by religious regulations instead of by God's grace. And then let no one defraud you. Here the culprit is religious mysticism that replaces spiritual nourishment from Christ with empty but exciting religious experiences. You have in Christ all that you need, so beware of substitutes. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. October 5th, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 2, verse 7. Christ is the head of the church, which is His body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, He has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed by God to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am completing what remains of Christ's suffering for His body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to His own holy people. For it has pleased God to tell His people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles, too. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance that you will share in His glory. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us. For we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this, as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. 
I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, and for many other friends who have never known me personally. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which is Christ Himself. In Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will be able to deceive you with persuasive arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I am very happy because you are living as you should and because of your strong faith in Christ. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and draw up nourishment from Him, so you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all He has done. Our prayer is often dull because there is so little earnestness in it. We pray as if no one is listening. We pray as if nothing will happen. We pray as if nothing were at stake. We pray without vim or vigor, without passion, without purpose. We will sing the Michigan State fight song with greater enthusiasm then we will pray. And we will have greater confidence that if perhaps we cheer on our team in the arena, it will give them some inspiration. More confidence in that than if we would pray, God may answer. We pray to pass the time. Yes, that's what we do. We're Christians. We got a service, we pray. We pray to pass the time, not to pull down blessings from heaven. Like Jacob will not let you go until you bless me. Are you ever, are you often, are you rarely gathered together with God's people for the purpose of prayer? Surely there are reasons to pray. You just have to look at your life, some of you, your marriage or your health your concerns in the country or the world or your friends or our missionaries or this body, conflict in your life, your work, your unemployment. There's no shortage of reasons to pray. So we must ask, if we are not often gathered together earnest in prayer, we must consider why not? Is it because we do not have great needs in this body? Is it because we do not have fears and sins that beset us? Is it because there is no opposition in the world which threatens to snare us, or there's no devil on the prowl to destroy us? Is it because we are sure of ourselves, self-reliant, in no need of divine assistance? Or is it because we consider help from God to be so negligible that it is not worth our time to ask for it? Do we not think God listens when we pray? Do we not think He cares? Do we not realize that He is more than able to give us grace to help in our time of need? Why do we not gather to pray? 
What is the reason for our apathy? Do we not see the critical importance of prayer? Have we forgotten what a privilege we have in prayer? Have we no confidence in the power of prayer? Do we take the example of the early church to be unreachable or impractical in our busy day? Have we no sense for the blessings that await us in prayer and through prayer? Have we lost sight of the great glory that God receives when His people humble themselves and pray? Who knows what new victories we would experience? What divine favor would be ours? What surprising providences we would enjoy if earnest prayer were made to God by the church, and by this church. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that God stands ready, willing, and eager to hear us, eager to help us? His ways are not always our ways. He does not always answer as we would expect Him to. But his love never fails, and his mercies are new every morning, and there is one at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for us and will lend his might to our puny prayers, if we would but pray. He who is omniscient delights to hear our requests. He who is omnipotent acts when we call upon Him. He who is omnipresent promises to be near to us when we pray. Why do we not pray more? Why is the American church, with all of her blessings and all of her strengths, not particularly known around the world as a praying church? It's likely because of all of our blessings and all of our strengths and all of our resources. What would it mean for us to be a church often in earnest prayer? What might you and I have to rearrange in our lives? Not just to have a personal quiet time, but to have much corporate time of prayer. What are you doing tonight when this church will gather to pray? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Psalm 77, verses 1 through 20. Joyless days of trouble and sleepless nights of despair plagued the psalmist here in this chapter. Why? Not because of unbelief, but because of faith. Because he believed in the Lord, he wrestled with himself and with God. He could not understand why the Lord did not keep his promises and deliver his people from bondage. What do you do in a situation like that? Of course, you pray. And you tell God just how you feel. Reach out to him in the night seasons. But do not refuse the comfort 
that he sends. He will remind you of his past works and wonders. And the more you meditate on them, the better you will feel. Asaph meditated on Israel's exodus from Egypt and recalled that God kept the people waiting by the Red Sea, that it was night, and that deliverance came just in the nick of time. The people were afraid and certain that God had forgotten them, but he showed his power and humiliated the enemy. His way is a holy way and a hidden way. Trust him, you may not need to understand it. Just follow as he leads you. Psalm 77, verses 1 through 20. For Jeduthun, the choir director, a psalm of Asaph. I cry out to God without holding back. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I pray with hands lifted toward heaven, pleading. There can be no joy for me until he acts. I think of God, and I moan overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and think about the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again show me favor? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be kind? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, This is my fate, that the blessings of the Most High have changed to hatred. I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about them. O oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. You have redeemed your people by your strength, the descendants of Jacob and of Joseph by your might. When the Red Sea saw you, O oh God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down their rain. The thunder rolled and crackled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway, through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep, with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Proverbs 24, verses 23 through 25. Here are some further sayings of the wise. It is wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, You are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations. But blessings are showered on those who convict the guilty. <laughs>